I'm John Atak. And I'm Michelle Haslam. And um, this is the first time that we sat and had a conversation like this, so it's really yeah. exciting. Um, Michelle was involved in the Nukadampa tradition. First bit that confuses me is how can you have a new tradition? It's all a contradiction, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And what is a Kadampa? Well, a new Kadampa is different to an old Kadampa, oh, it good. seems. Yeah. But yeah, the whole thing is, um, in terms of describing it as modern Buddhism, um, none of it really makes sense once you've been around a while and you've also looked at um, other streams of Buddhism. Mm. But when you're on the inside, um, you, you maybe just believe that that's... That that's what it is. So, yeah. I mean, we were just before we started this, we were talking about mindfulness, and um, I, I am, you know, my friend Christian Sherko and, and I have frequently spoken out against this. My background was in Zen Buddhism. I learned Zazen in a monastery, which was not in the least bit exotic. Sadly, mm. didn't have to get to go to Japan or see any cherry blossoms or anything. No. Um, and I practiced for a year, and I practiced meditations of various forms. And I've come to believe that mindfulness is hokum, that um, it's being offered as a panacea, as a cure-all, uh, which it most certainly isn't. And it's really an excuse for not helping people often. Um, and I was saying that I found that, that really just breathing deeply in a relaxed position, listening to some calming music, uh, I think should be run as a test against meditation I'd be happy to set a program up mm -hmm. because I think it's probably more effective um, how much you know what, what sort of meditation do they do in in NKT well I wouldn't call it meditation I would mm. call it um, guided self-hypnosis yeah. and thought control and emotional control so um, and there's some visualization mm. um, and prayers as well so um, you would uh, it would be called contemplation meditation. Yep. So you take an aspect of the teaching and you hold it in mind, mm. and you're supposed to be able to reduce this intellectual concept into a, some kind of feeling and focus on that feeling. Yeah. So actually, what you're doing is controlling your mind and your emotions in um, accordance with the teachings. Mm. Um, but this is called contemplation meditation. And, and could you give me an example of something you might contemplate in such a... Um, yes, yeah, so um, it might be uh, one aspect of the teachings would be how um, human beings have no faults. Hmm. So um, there might be quite a long teaching introducing you to this concept where they would talk about how... Um, Basically, all the things that people do is due to their delusions and therefore they're um, sort of perfect and they're an expression of Buddha and um, how someone who's actually being abusive is your teacher, etc. Not not an abuser. Um, and, um, so Jack the Ripper or Ted Bundy were really yeah, teaching lots of people. Yes, mm. yeah. So then you would um, focus on that uh, for the rest of the, the meditation. Um, and no, I don't think it's really very clear exactly what you're supposed to be doing, but everyone else is kind of appearing to be doing to that. Do it too. Um, yeah. And so, um, what we're learning now with the, the research that's coming out, I, 
you you probably wouldn't have read it yet. Um, Miriam Anders is um, yeah. publishing research now on how um, these con the Buddhist concepts concepts have been um, oversimplified mm. and decontextualized and then used with a hidden agenda so for example in the NKT in my opinion it may also happen in other Buddhist groups I've been told it does that teaching is actually used to dismiss people's trauma and suffering when they're abused by others mm. because they're all concentrating on how other people um, are perfect and therefore they can do no wrong mm. but particularly other people in your group you know not they are somehow more more perfect and, mm. than people on the outside um, so what happens is you've been focusing on this concept for so long um, so repeatedly what happened to me personally is um, I was too busy focusing on this concept during moments of abuse to actually protect myself um and to put boundaries in and mm. say actually um this behavior is is abuse mm. so that's just one example there are lots of them and um i would argue that most of them that the the hidden agenda behind it is to keep you within the group mm. and um to keep you from speaking up about um things that people do that are unacceptable to mm. stop you whistleblowing and to basically yeah and also to um yeah to sort of silence trauma into non-existence mm. really um so the only other form of meditation that they do is a brief um mindfulness of the breath at the beginning mm. which they say is designed to settle the mind to basically make it more susceptible to the teachings yeah. so and then there's the sort of anesthetic relaxation benefit that people get which because most people are stressed when they come they do feel more relaxed mm. um so um yeah i would say that um really it's just mind control and, and thought control mm. but you're told it's meditation and um it's pure and it's wonderful and it's nectar and it's blissful and and so um, maybe you just believe that that it is. And your background is is unusual in, in that that you have a doctorate in psychology, mm. so um, you don't really have any excuses actually. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I think that is it's an astonishing uh, criticism of the teaching of psychology that. Um, you know, I, I came the other way around. I, I had a nine-year cult experience and then wanted to know what had happened. Mm. And so you know, I spent years and years looking at um, ideas within psychology and realising that um, in clinical psychology, you're often pretty much being taught um, a kind of cultic dogma that... Um, you know, and I'm a big fan of, say, Aaron Beck and, and his work on, on cognitive ideas. I think that in certain contexts, cognitive behavioural therapy can be very useful. But there seems to be this focus on the self mm. um, and the past, rather than, under, you know, often with, you know, with dynamic therapies that you're looking to what happened to you in the past, without an understanding of how groups function and how authority relationships function within groups. Mm. So one of my friends, a principal part of her work 
is repurposing counsellors who have become devastated by their supervisors. You know, mm. that they find themselves in situations where they're being gaslit by their own supervisors. Um, and that we find, I think, a significant, a much more significant amount of narcissism among mm. counsellors than mm. in any other profession. Mm. Mm. People who are perpetuating their, you know, they did something that they felt was the thing that gave them the way, the truth and the life. And now they're going to impose it on other people as yeah. the solution. There's a lot of um, evangelical ideas in psychology, mm. yeah. I mean, in talking, you know, I I'm always say nasty things about Freud and anybody who thinks otherwise should maybe read Anthony Storr's Vita Clare's a great book, but uh, Frederick Cruz, who spent 700 pages dismissing and denying every single principal idea of, of Freudianism in terms of its origins, in that he shows that Freud stole ideas mm. from everywhere and anywhere. And those ideas don't actually fit together into anything that's been scientifically proven. Yet if you challenge them, the Freudian community will rip you to pieces. Mm. They won't have a conversation with you about it. I mean, there are exceptions. There are analysts, um, a friend uh, Dan Shaw, for example. Um, mm. He's brilliant. He, yeah. But he comes out of the forensic you know, Frenzy was the guy, last of the Freud pupils who, who said, what about love, Sigmund? And was thrown out because right. that's not a concept that's relevant at all. It's, mm. you know, it's all about between the age of one and one and a half, you develop fixations upon your mum or your dad and there was some penis envy involved and a little <laughs> bit of castration going on and Electra and Oedipus and all of these crazy ideas to me, which when I first encountered them coming out of Scientology, because Scientology claimed that its origins were in Freud in the subject I would call Dianetics, I went and read Freud. And it was just like reading Hubbard. Really? There was this paranoid yeah. guy who felt everybody was out to get him and who was like absolutely brilliant and mm. really didn't have that much to say. Mm. Um, I, I wonder, does NKT have a kind of, you know, religious doctrines usually split into the magical, the mystical or intellectual and the devotional? And yeah. Christianity, because it's largely devotional, Christians don't necessarily aren't necessarily aware of the magical aspects, which is trying to get power for the self, or the mystical elements, which is trying to understand the world. Buddhism is fundamentally a mystical teaching, mm. but almost everywhere it's practiced, it's like Anita Buddhism, for example, it's devotional. Mm. Um, does NKT fixate on the leader? Oh, it's very devotional to mm. the leader, yeah. Uh, much more than Buddha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's a living Buddha or uh... yeah they do consider him the third uh yeah living Buddha uh so of course an enlightened being who is omnipotent and omniscient and all those things um so um yeah lots of ex-members would consider it a personality cult really mm. um you know I was told things like Geshler says it so it must be true you know um, there isn't much critical thinking allowed. Um, yeah, so if you don't um, take on the teachings, um, it's because you don't have the right karma or, you know, you um, you have too many obstructions in your mind and everything. So whether some people, um, you don't know what people are doing when they're prostrating. Some might be thinking of Geshla, some might be thinking of um, other um, deities, um, but most of them um, talk about Geshler only, really. Or mm. they might talk about a particular Buddha that they feel a connection to, like Tara or, yeah. 
but mostly it's it's Kelsang yet. So, mm. yeah. I, I mean, it's something that astonishes me within Buddhism. Um, the Tibetan sects have have a particularly bad reputation for their abuse of, of tantra. Tantra, is, as you doubtless know, in its origins, is a way of sublimating the sexual drive. Mm. Um, but it's become a way of expressing the sexual drive. Yeah. So the Naropa University, the Western Buddhist University in Colorado, I know that in the early 1990s they had an internal scandal that they managed to pretty much cover up, mm. that quite a lot of their tutors had AIDS mm. because they believed they couldn't get AIDS. Right, and yeah. they were having sex with their students, which of course is a criminal offence in the United States of America. Now, Pernan Chodra is out there and very popular in the New Age. And whenever she's asked about Chogyang Trungpa, who was her teacher and his alcoholism and the sexual abuse of pupils, she puts forward this Buddhist notion: "Because I didn't see it, I cannot talk about it." Mm -hmm. And I, I am horrified by this mm -hmm. that. Um, Tibetan Buddhism, you know, for me seems pretty freaky anyway and always did. Yeah. You know, when I was in the Zen monastery, I said, you know, is there something that's a bit less kind of mystical than Zen? And the, the abbot laughed at me and he said, well, you know, if you'd said the opposite, I could have sent you to the Tibetans, which is where he went himself, Dajistra, mm. then in the end. But yeah, we had to prostrate ourselves um, 50 something times, calling out the names of bodhisattvas. In the Japanese mispronunciation, you know, the, you know that uh, Dhyana Buddhism becomes Chan because the Chinese can't say Dhyana, Chan becomes Zen because the Zen, the Japanese can't say Chan. Mm. So it means sitting. It's all it means. Yeah. It's a form of Buddhism which is meant to be non-intellectual, where you're only studying a limited. You know, you study the Diamond, the Heart, the Lotus Sutra, and of course the Flower Garland. Uh, you don't study the Dikkhanikaya, you don't study the mm. full sutras, um, because it's meant to be through practice. But, the, you know, you are going, you know, this thing, you're going down to the ground, touching your forehead on the ground, after they've got you up at six in the morning mm. to do this thing, and as a night person that didn't help. And you're quilling out, you know, Makakoshio, Dayasho, or some, you know, this. And I, for me, it was like, what on earth does this have to do with with the teachings of Buddhism? Mm. You know, where you've got this guy who comes along and says, um, "Don't you know it's illusion? Don't get caught up in it. Meditate. Meditation is the technique. Focus upon compassion. You know, do these things, and it becomes this all-encompassing cult. Yeah, where you know you are basically worshiping." Mm. You know, I think if, if I have one problem with, with religion at all, it's this notion of worship, that if the, the God who is projected by, um, you know, within Hinduism and, and with the, within the Levantine sects, um, Judaism, Christianity and Islam, um, and Manichaeism, let's not leave that out, that I wouldn't want to worship anyone that would want to be worshipped. Yeah, I mean, I'm not clear on what, the Buddha actually originally said if that is even mm. something that happened. So, um, and it causes problems whenever you try and, and um, talk about it. But lots of people have told me, shall we say, that um, he would have said, don't make statues of me um, and don't worship me and um, don't take anything that anyone says 
as the truth, you know, investigate it for yourself. The Kalama Sutta. Yeah, so um, you obviously know more about the sutras than me. But um, what but happened... That of itself is, is a curiosity which I find with every Buddhist I talk to, that they haven't read the sutras. Yeah, yeah, and you're going, yeah. well, this yeah. is what he taught. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it does have some weird things in it, like he had an elephantine penis, apparently. <laughs> And I'm not sure that I wanted to know that. That's no, one of the extra no. marks of, of a Buddha, apparently. Um, yeah, well, in the NKT, there's a... So a lot of porn stars statue. have the, you know... Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's a gold statue um, that the NKT make of Kelsangiatso. And does um, it have an elephant? Sorry. No, 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 no appendage. <laughs> oh, probably not a Buddha then. <laughs> no, maybe not. I mean, Tara's normally got rather large breasts on okay. display. Um, lots of... Male practitioners seem to really like Tara, um, yeah. But um, yeah, so um, you're kind of told that. Um, I mean, I do remember finding it concerning that there was so many pictures of Kelsangiatso and statues of him, and but you're kind of told that that's not what he wanted. But his followers were so grateful that that's why they made them, um, and that he represents. Um, so much to them um, that that that's what they um, chose to do, but it can't be because of any narcissism, you know. So, um, but there are other warning signs, like um, there are signs when you go in the buildings that that say it's you know the only method um, for achieving happiness, and that um, NKT centres are the only centres that provide healing of some kind um so there are narcissistic warning signs all over the place really but unfortunately people rationalize them and minimize them and um if you haven't um read other books uh, other buddhist teachings um or been somewhere else you just don't know mm. and you're and told it's um it's not a good idea to mix traditions because yeah. it will be too confusing and um, you it won't will. get anywhere. No. So and people, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so people don't mix them. Yeah, it, it, it's astonishing because you know f there are so many people out there who who have said tremendously wise and incisive things about belief. Um, one of them is was a professor called Angus Graham. And he was uh, his speciality was was Taoist belief, which is something that's fascinated me since I was a teenager. And um, he starts talking about perennialism, and we very much, you know, since that notion came along in the twenties and thirties, then Aldous Huxley wrote the perennial philosophy and um, explains in two paragraphs why um, the Buddha really believed in God. It's incredible, mm. such wisdom. Um, but this idea that you'll find this truth that is running through all of the ancient traditions. Yeah. Angus Graham stopped me dead in my tracks by saying, yeah, well, that's so. Now look at all of the disagreements. Mm. Now look at all the things that they don't agree on. And this one thing, again, when I first read Duke Kennett's Selling Water by the River, which is a great title for a book, and true, um, that she said, this Soto Zen that I'm teaching is the only way of doing this. And in the end, I kind of wonder, doing what? Mm. You know, this thing off in the future somewhere where I will over, you know, become enlightened yeah. and I will, yeah. I will have this great wisdom and this great serenity. In a lifetime, I've only seen a pretense of this. 
when I made a, a YouTube about enlightenment, uh, somebody wrote to me and they said, oh, well, you're just a travel agent. Yeah. You, know, you haven't actually been to the place you're talking about. So I said, oh, that's fine. Uh, um, I'm happy to talk about it and let's have a conversation. He said, watch my guru's video. Mm. And I'm sort of, oh, so you're a travel agent too. Yeah, yeah, you know, you yeah. haven't been there. Yeah. If you want to have, and the idea of a conversation is, I have something to say, you have something to say. When you deal with somebody who's involved in an authoritarian group, which people would call a cult, but mm. couldn't care less what we call it, it's an authoritarian group, they will tell you the metaphors and analogies that they've learned. They yeah. will parrot these yeah. things. Yeah. And it, They're indoctrinated, if you want to use that yeah. word. And if the idea is that, that by these practices you will discover your true self, you know, mm. who you really are and what you really are, the reality is that, that what you'll discover is that the person who's telling you what you'll discover is exactly right and you'll never discover anything. You know, with Ron Hubbard in Scientology, they sell what they call self-determinism. And to achieve self-determinism, you have to do exactly what you're told. Mm. You know, and you will never be able to discover any technology, as they call it. Only Hubbard has that capacity. And, of course, ultimately, on final level, that wasn't released. Oh, so sadly, I didn't do it. You find out that he's God. You find out that he's the source of the whole universe. And it goes the same way. You know, Bhagwan. Rajneesh calls himself Supreme God, Bhagwan. Mm -hmm. uh, Maharishi, I hate it when people call Mahesh Maharishi, great teacher. These you know, Maharaji, these self-appointed mm -hmm. narcissists yeah. who when you get into their private lives and you interview or, or read about, say, Hugh Milne's book about Rajneesh, uh, The God That Failed, you find that these people, I mean, in Rajneesh's case, he was taking huge doses of Valium, diazepam. I mean, enormous doses. Mm. Um, Maranand Sheila, I think, claims he was taking 350 milligrams a day. Now, given that 10 milligrams is the usual top dose, wow. you know, yeah. Hugh Milne says it was 50 milligrams, and he probably knew because he was giving it to him. But he'd also have two hits on nitrous oxide, and then he'd go out and be the guru. Um, and as with any malignant, vulnerable narcissist that you've got a leader who basically has learned how to smile in public mm. but in private their their lives are catastrophes yeah yeah and it was said um in the nkt where i lived you know the people who were getting on the throne i knew about their behaviors mm. and um there was a lot of of disturbing stuff going on mm. and um but you were just told well people still have delusions and uh, we're all working towards enlightenment. And um, if we expected all of the teachers, if we expected teachers to hold moral discipline all of the time and to not have any issues, we'd have no teachers. So you'd get silence that way. Um, yeah, so unfortunately they just, because they're so hell-bent on expansion um, and um, getting people through the door, then they just put people who... Um, yeah, who who have criminal backgrounds, who don't have any understanding of mental health, who um, have no supervision or training, um, but they can repeat what's written in the books and they can perhaps lead. It's not difficult to lead one of the contemplation meditations. No. You just keep reminding the, the people of the, of the sentence that they're focusing on and, you know, sit there looking 
zen. Um, so unfortunately, um, but when you've lived in one of their buildings and you know what's going on in the the dark shadows, which are not often talked about, um, but sometimes people do tell you, you know, what's going on in their lives or you see something that's that's disturbing and then you know that the whole thing's a joke. The, the, I mean, in the Catholic um, Church, um, long, long ago, uh, there was a thing which I think was called the Donatist heresy. And the idea was that a priest who was impure could not bless the sacrament. And the Catholic Church determined that was hope, that was nonsense, of course. It didn't matter what the priest was doing. The priest had been given the charismatic ability to bless the host so that mm. it would be the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And one group of heretics who, who became famous later, the Cathars, the Albigensians who rose up in um, the Languedoc um, around Toulouse in the south of France, a very lovely place. Um, they, which was not at that time a province of France, it was an independent um, country in its own right, an independent state. And this heresy put forward a variety of ideas. Firstly, that women could be priests mm. um, and that priests were not priests, they were called parfaits or perfects. And that if their behavior was in any way imperfect, then they were no longer you know, able to do this. So most traditions pretty quickly accept this donatism that it doesn't matter you know, what you do. And when we look at the amount of child sexual abuse um, child rape that's happened in the Catholic Church in, in Australia. The Royal Commission found 8,000 cases uh, committed by wow. 500 priests. Mm. Um, the Anglican Church, the Baptist Congregation, the uh, Methodists have all had this, the Boy Scout movement, um, various soccer clubs. That yeah. I see the same sort of thing, which is that we will pretend to the outside world while we clean up our stuff mm. because we have something really valuable to give. Mm. And my point would be that if you are concealing that, then you have absolutely nothing to give to the world. No. If, no. if you are immoral and you are covering up the abuse of children, which is the worst thing that human beings can mm. do from my perception, then you really are bankrupt. And it's mm. time to basically sell off or give. Well, Jesus put it nicely when he said, give all that you own to the poor. Mm. I think that would be a good start for, for the various churches to give all stuff away. Um, to, to feed, you know, the many starving people in the world and, and to make institutions that care. Mm. Of course, within that, you also have things like in the Catholic Church liberation theology, where in um, Latin America, many priests, said we have to be active in the community because we're living under these terrible dictatorships most of them unfortunately sponsored by the united states to stop communism and bad people taking over mm. so they were excommunicated basically because they said well we've got to help the community and when we started talking before we switched the lights on um there was i put forward the idea that that from my, the reality of my life is that by becoming involved in organisations, you to some extent become involved in cults. Mm. And so I believe in the scale-free network. This, you know, it, the internet is a demonstration of it, the World Wide Web, that it doesn't matter if you take nodes out, it will continue to function. 
And I do believe in an equality and a parity between people, that, that we're a community of learning. There are things that I know a fair amount about, and there are things I know nothing about. I've yet to meet another human being who couldn't teach me something. Mm. And that absolutely includes autistic people, mm. Down syndrome people. Everybody has something that I don't know. Mm. And I think we, you know, that cults rise because authoritarianism is written into our society. Our whole yeah. history as a species is a history of tyranny. Mm, it is, yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be. There are only two societies I know of that are called banned societies, B-A-N-D, not double yeah. Um, one is the Baaka Pygmy, um, and the other are the San, the so-called Bushmen of the Kalahari. They don't have a tri tribal chieftain, and they haven't mm. for centuries. They, whoever's really good at something, like with the Baaka, it's, um, they really like honey, and the bees that they get it from live at the top of the trees, they put, so they might be 80 feet up. And so the guy who's best at, or the woman who's best at climbing trees, gets to be in charge of going and getting the honey. It's a major cause of death, apparently, among Barker falling out of a tree mm. um, it, for, for young ones. When you look at those documentaries about those people, the Barker and the San, the thing that really strikes me is they're incredibly happy. Mm. Their relationships are remarkably good. Not having a, a boss bully psychopath telling them what to do and then you look at what what we have and i keep saying this on youtube and i'm going to keep saying it we have donald trump boris johnson duterte bolsonaro abe modi mm. uh, putin president xi we continue to put people who are quite evidently narcissistic yeah. into these positions because just like hitler they say no i know how to solve it mm. So really intelligent people go, well, I'm you know, so uncertain about the world and what to mm, do. Mm. And somebody comes along who has this brash confidence and the cult of personality comes along. Or should we call that the new religious movement of personality? Mm, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think another aspect of NKT that, that really worries me, I, I was involved with Scientology and they are notorious. They're the most litigious organization in the history of the world. Mm. In a single day, they dropped 3,000 cases against the Internal Revenue Service. Wow. Um, I became... In a single day, that's yeah. insane, yeah. Yeah, and there are many other times where, you know, when an enemy caves in, they drop the hundreds of cases they've got going. I don't remember how many cases I was involved in. Mm. I brought two against them, they brought eight or something against me. But you get to the point where that's all you're doing. But that's just one little aspect of the harassment. Mm. I heard this thing that, that in NKT, a stranger can walk up to you on the street and say something horrible to you. Mm. you know, somebody, is, is that, has that happened to you? Or? Well, it hasn't, but I don't live in a place where I bumped into anyone. Yeah. I wouldn't, I get lots of trolling on YouTube mm. suggesting that I'm all sorts of things, that I'm just a narcissist and all of the narcissist I'm perceiving in other people it only exists in my own mind. Mirroring. Yeah. Um, that I'm just angry, which is obviously not allowed. The yeah. emotion of anger is not allowed even when you're recovering from abuse. Mm. Um, so therefore, um, yeah, I'm not taking responsibility for my own um, stuff and I'm just projecting my angry mind onto the NKT. Um, it's all sorts, but it's for me it's been mostly online 
Um, I, I do get some people tell me that most of the the perpetrators, like who set up the website against me, for example, actually couldn't fight their own way out of a paper bag mm. in real life. Um, and they, yeah, they get called keyboard warriors, shall we say? Um, but mm. how I'd get treated in person, I don't know. I mean, I certainly wouldn't um, be hanging around outside NKT centres. No, I mean, I, I for, foolishly for 11 years continued to live in East Grinstead, which is, there are about a thousand, so I'm 12 just living there. Wow. And so people come and knock on my door and, um, you know, had people march you up and down outside my house with placards. And as, as the pavement was only that wide, that mm. was a bit difficult. The police kept moving them off. And uh, my house was broken into a, a couple of times. Wow. Um, kids would um, shun my children at school. Mm. Um I was followed by private detectives. Uh, every house in East Grinstead, there was little... I'd put out a little red book uh, about them called The Total Freedom Trap. So they put out... They will mirror, they'll mimic what you do. And they'll accuse you of... You know, Hubbard was um, deeply involved in sex magic. There is no doubt about it. The documents exist. Um, it's been talked about in court. It's, you know, there's absolutely no doubt about it. So his claim was that he was sent in by US intelligence to break up black magic in america he obviously didn't do a very good job mm. um but so they will then accuse me of being involved in magical practices or say you know i've got lots of books on magic which is true i have they're the ones hubbard read mm. um i must say i find alistair crowley his hero utterly odious and i i find i've, I've thankfully he highlights what he thinks is, is important thoughts in bold so i don't have to read the rest you know but um that this notion of harassment, that, that it, it seems to me that, that you can't be a Buddhist and have complete compassion for the world no. and harass people. Well, you can't be involved in a cultic group um, where you adore the leader um, without defending the leader and attacking those mm. who um, think that the leader is less than perfect. Um, and so, yeah, you can't be involved um, in a, a group and have compassion for people who speak out against the group. Mm. I, yeah, I agree with you there. Whether or not you could be a Buddhist of some kind who's um, practising um, at home in their own way um, and remain a little bit more impartial, perhaps. Um, but most Buddhists practise guru yoga of some kind yes. and they don't like it if you don't agree with that practice or with the teachings of their their particular guru, um, in the same way uh, as we know with like Yuval Lahore's work, um, with with your if someone criticizes your parent or your child, um, you can't help but get defensive. Mm. Um, I think it's um, it's ridiculous to think that we're practicing non-attachment when we're in a, a Buddhist group. But um, we don't necessarily spot that when we're when we're in the group. Mm. Um, it's only when you leave and you um, see how people speak to each other mm. um, that it becomes um, obvious. But if, if you're in the group, you're given a special narrative about ex-members, of course. So you're maybe believing that they're just their karma was unfortunate and. Um, that uh 
yeah that the, the guru remains perfect so um and and in, anything that challenges that is very painful for you it it causes you so much cognitive dissonance mm. that it's much safer and um much less distressing um to just really i would say that the nkt do practice fair game Mm. um and unfortunately i didn't know much about fair game until it started happening to me so <laughs> yeah um of course they don't have a policy about it but um yeah it's seen as perfectly acceptable um to attack um the character of of ex members mm. um and people don't seem to see that there's a contradiction there with any of no. the teachings so that, I mean, I mean, there are various things which, for me, are significant in in what might be called a spiritual practice. Spiritual isn't a word I use very much these last thirty six years. Um, one of them is it won't cost you any money mm. um, because, and, and that's something the Shankaracharya of the North, who is you know, the Pope of Hinduism in that part of the world, um, when he was asked questions about. Mahesh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, yoga, that, that he said, um, but he charges money. Yeah. So it's counterfeit. Um, another thing is this, this devotion to a personality, um, to a leader that, that uh, as Buval Lao says, and I think we're, we're all pretty aware that you kind of, it's part of yourself really that, that, that you know, the, you can't, say that about my mum mm. you know and there's there's that dimension of it um and, and I do feel that way if you say anything nasty about my mum yeah <laughs> um but there's the other dimension which you've always first person to point out to me that that um the the teaching of the group becomes a child mm. the baby so you know you're saying my baby's ugly mm. You know, I'm afraid your baby is ugly. Actually. It looks <laughs> like Winston Churchill. Um, but that, you know, your 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 kind of oxytocin response, almost, you know, your dopamine, mm. your endorphins, your whole brain response is caught up in this thing. Now, one of the things that really worries me about human society is, is that uh, perpetual adolescence is the goal. That in a consumer society, you don't want people to think too much, and you do want them to buy too much. Mm. You know. Um, and I, I long have heard that, that when you leave a group, an authoritarian group or an authoritarian relationship, you're about 12 years old. That, oh, I felt very stunted, I will admit, to that, yeah. You and would... you can have joined it when you were 60, and it will take you back to this dependency, mm. which is, is the point before teenage rebellion happens, um, that where you, know, you still hero worship a parent. Mm. And so the, the leader is seen in these terms. And um, th th there's a, a wonderful therapist called Patricia Crittenden. And Nick Child, uh, lovely guy Nick, introduced uh, a book called Raising Parents to me. Wow. And she puts forward this idea which she calls the dynamic maturational model. I don't know if it's original to her. But she says rather than classifying people as... You know, you're there on this spectrum and there on that spectrum and you've got this and that going on and, you know, the 1800 classifications of DSM-5 or, mm. or however many there are now. I think it was a DSM-3 that had 1800. There may be more now. Yeah. Rather than starting there, let's talk about maturity. 
let's talk about growing up. Rather than talking about enlightenment, let's talk about growing yeah. up. Yeah, we and, have a lot of that to do. Yeah. yeah, and and I would again, my friend Jessica put forward the, the who's a therapist put forward the concept of quite simply emotional autonomy. Now. Um, that can be mistaken if you start talking about personal autonomy, then that's probably something that only psychopaths have. Mm. Um, we are interdependent, yeah. and that's really good. Yeah, definitely. That's, a, that's the best thing about us, I think. Yeah. Um, but emotional autonomy, coming to a point where you don't feel that you have to defend an idea, mm. Mm. you are open-minded and can listen to opinions about something without having a, mm. you know, an aversion response, in the counter cult world, it's off guilt induction, or Steve Hassan calls it indoctrination. I'm not totally sure why, because I think it is an induction of a feeling. Um, and I would say it's actually shame induction if mm. we're going to get really technical about it, because yeah. guilt's a very good thing, shame's a very toxic thing. Mm. And phobia, you know, if you leave the group, then you'll be run over, or, you know, the Buddha will shit on you, or something <laughs> terrible yeah. will happen to you. Um, there's a third factor, which is aversion. And in looking at a group like the Bolsheviki or, or, or the Nazis, uh, who will always come into YouTube within a certain, you know, or we'll be Hitler will be there somewhere within 15 minutes. I think we lasted a bit longer this time. Mm -hmm. um, bringing up an aversion where you have an enemy. Hitler, in fact, said that if you want to bind a group, create an enemy. And he was very good at doing it. I think that is so much a part of authoritarian behaviour. Um, I was challenged, I gave a seminar, and I said, I don't consider anyone in Scientology my enemy. They're not my enemies. And my very good friend, Jerry Armstrong, was, was in the audience, said, you're wrong. And he went up on stage afterwards to tell everybody how wrong I was, that, that they're at war with you, so they are your enemies. And it's getting this conception to say, well, yeah, they are my enemies. I don't regard them as my enemies. Mm. I regard them as people who have been um, disinformed, and yeah. misinformed, deceived, and deceived, yeah. and their emotions have been harnessed. Mm. And for me to grow up to be mature, and I do hope to grow up one day. <laughs> yeah, one um, day. Is that I won't, you know, my emotions won't be knocked around mm. by other people. If you like, that's what my sense of enlightenment would be. That I'll be able to understand why somebody's hurt and angry. You know, so when Scientologists, I was talking with Sam, who's sitting there looking at us quietly, because um, you should be here, shouldn't you? You're normally here. Um, about a situation where two Scientologists came to my door, and one of them, I let them in. It was like eleven at night or ten thirty at night, yeah. and I let them in, and they, they stood in my hallway glaring at me, my mind was quite huge, and I was sort of, why have I let this guy in my house? And he was, uh, why do you say nasty things about Scientology's drug rehabilitation program, Narconon? Because uh, it, it got me off drugs. And I said, oh, that's great. I'm really pleased. They've got, you know, what were you taking? And I'm having a different conversation with him to the conversation he's having with me, and I'm, I'm saying, well, you know, Scientology's done some good, that's great. I'm all for it. But it has to be taken as the whole Mm. You know what else does it do? And what else has happened? And how much does it cost you? And have you borrowed? What, yeah, what have you borrowed a lot of money? Yeah. What new addictions do you have now? <laughs> yeah. So exactly that that they become junkies for that, mm. and they become as fanatical yeah. in getting that as they were. The other guy said to me, y "You persuaded my girlfriend uh, to dump me. 
I said, oh, who's she? And he named this woman. I probably better not name her. It's many years later now, mm. but could still be difficult. And I said, I've never heard of her and I've never met her. And they stood there kind of stumped. And there was, you know, there was almost a conversation. Mm. And if you go into the thing, you know, I agree with you that you should feel angry about abuse, um, indignant, mm. you know, um, but that doesn't mean being enraged with people. Mm. My sense with Scientology is that everybody from the top down, when Hubbard died in 1986, I wept, mm. which is silly because I certainly didn't feel any affection for him. But I believe in redemption. And I saw, you know, I'd wanted to go and visit him in prison mm. and try and help him admit what he'd done because I think that's good for people. I know a little bit more about narcissism now and mm. I don't think there'd be much I could do about no. it. But, but that sort of tolerance, the forgiveness, all of the, the qualities that Buddhism speaks mm. about, mm. You know, Hubbard too spoke about you know how you've got to uh, forgive people and you know um, never hate people. But then introduced, as you say, the fair game law where people could be tricked, lied to, sued, or destroyed. He talked mm. about ruining people utterly, mm. as if this was a natural. You know, of course, we've got the truth that will make the world a wonderful, loving place where everybody loves each other. But first, you've got to kill half the population. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. protecting the the Dharma is. Um, more important than individual people's well-being. And yet the Buddha said that there is nothing to fear if the Dharma is lost, because it is, if it is true, it will be rediscovered. Mm. It is only false Dharma yeah. that needs to be protected. Yeah. Um, it, it shocks and surprises me that, that people who call themselves Buddhists, you know, they, they don't know the Eightfold Path. Mm. or they just know the Eightfold Path they, they, on the Four Noble Truths, they haven't actually gone and looked at the astonishing penetrating mm. wisdom of this man, mm. if he actually did exist, you know, because yeah. it's only 500 years after he died that anybody wrote anything down. And then they blamed um, poor Ananda for not asking him to live forever, mm. and he would have done. Mm. Um, it, it's also it's worth saying that, that um, despite the vegetarianism of, of Buddhism, he died from eating meat. Yeah. <laughs> So there are contradictions yeah. even in There the are a lot of, of contradictions, yeah. And the Buddha himself said that he was a human being, that that he was not a god. Mm. And all of the stories that are plastered on later about the dream his mother had, it's like the hadith among Muslims, that hadith was actually collected over a couple of centuries, these things that Muhammad said. And the authenticity there, you actually pretty quickly get a group of scribes who are going oh well uh, we can put this together in this way and make this and then you get to this thing which I've complained about frequently I had a um, I gave a talk in a church years ago and um, my assistant who was a born-again Christian and very wonderful person Bonnie Woods um, she um, said that she preferred the King James Bible to the vicar and the vicar was furious Mm. It's, like it's the received word of God you, and I'm sort of going how do you know it's the received word of God because it doesn't even claim to be the received word of God God only speaks about three times in the Old Testament you know it's a burning bush and, and he, he says my name is I am that I am most of what you're reading is written by people mm. and now of course we have the history because of archaeology we can go back 
1500 years before the proto-text, which is about 900 BC for Torah for the Old Testament, and find Babylonian ring seals, which actually tell the Genesis story, where the mother goddess welcomes humanity through her agent, the serpent god, into Eden to eat dates, mm. because of course there weren't any apples in that part of the world till they came from Afghanistan later. And you see how a story is taken, and it's a I think an incredible teaching story, Genesis, the idea that by knowing good and evil, you learn shame, which makes you cover your naughty bits, and separates us out from all of the other species because we understand, you know, my cat has no shame. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so it's an incredible statement, but it's, it's how you decipher it. Mm. And when you decipher it as a way of harming other people or of feeling you're superior to other people, yeah which is what it seems to me every religion does, mm. that you occasionally meet people like my friend Christian Sherko or, or my friend um, Alexander Dvorkin, in, in, who's an astonishing man in Russia. They really are Christians. They wish to help other people and they live their lives devoted to that. They are humble about themselves mm. and they're exemplary. Instead of, you know, the first stone Christians who... You know, well, you're not like us. I'm going to, you know, I can cast the first stone. I can, you know, because you're obviously wrong. So, again, I, I know many militant atheists and people who think I, we ought to think one way or another. I don't really care what people believe or the metaphors they choose for the universe because we don't really know what's going on. Mm, no, we don't. Yeah, big bang. Come on, who had it? Mm. You know, when, when did that happen? And so... I mean, returning to the theme that, that the New Kadampa tradition seems to me to be um, a perversion. Um, it, it seems to me that by studying its teachings and living that life, you know, so I, I, I'm very grateful that I was involved in Scientology because I learned a great deal about my own arrogance. <laughs> and, and, I learned some about mine too in yeah. UKD. <laughs> and the, the only problem is it took nine years and it, I should have been able to do it in about three weeks because I'm a bit of a slow wit. You know? <laughs> but so it, everything we, we do is useful, um, mm. but it, it's, it's only if it eventuates into certain simple things. If you are not practicing compassion, a boundless compassion as the Buddha would have it, then you aren't a Buddhist. No. You're something else. So um... there's a lot of hypocrisy, and um, I think it's particularly strong in the NKT because so many people live in the centres, and so it's your home and it's mm. your sense of security. And you know, we're territorial, tribal animals at the end of the day. You know, and so if someone's threatening your livelihood and your safety by threatening the reputation of the NKT, um you will try and destroy them. It's your family, it's your yeah. community. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's where, where your sense of belonging is. And, it, you know, again, the sad truth, I imagine with NKT, as with, you know, the Moonies or Scientology or the Krishnas or, you know, the cults of old, we're now seeing the internet cults, we're now seeing a totally new dimension, which I will talk about elsewhere, because um, we've been talking for a long time, <laughs> which is great. Um but people leaving these groups very frequently suffer from complex post-traumatic stress Absolutely. disorder. Yeah. They suffer from institutionalization and 
there is nowhere for them to go. No. So you have, you know, in this country, you have Jilly Jenkinson, mm. who can accommodate, I don't know, about five people at a time. Um, despite the European uh, community in 1993 ruling that all countries, the parliament rather ruling, that all countries must have provision for people who've been subjected to this kind of authoritarian abuse, we don't. The French pay for FECRIS to look over court groups. I'm not, sorry, counter court groups. I, although I've spoken there a couple of times, I'm really not sure what they actually do. Right, yeah, I'm not aware. Uh, so, I, I, you know, again, my whole thing is I, I don't really care whether, you know, what names we use, whether something's called brainwashing or um, manipulation is, is my preferred term because I think we all know that that does exist. Yeah. Um, thought reform, thought control, menticide, the killing of the mind, um, all sorts of exotic terms. The reality is that people can be influenced to do things that are against their best interests. Mm. And part of that is normal compliance, but part of it is deliberate. And where a group is evidently antisocial, it attacks people. I was shocked. The, the other day I was looking for one of your videos um, and um, I couldn't find anything, actually, anything very much, which was very sad. But the first thing that some came up... Some of them up, are gone, but some of them have come back. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm pleased because I was tremendously impressed by, by, you know, it's just you're there, you're authentic, you're real, you're a person talking about an experience, but a person also with a tremendous understanding of the psychology behind that and an ease of describing that, you know, which, which I think is you know, incredibly important because so few people, it's usually angry ex-members, you know, and then they get off into attacking one another. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you could say I've got some anger and I'm an ex-member, but yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's good. But you've also got some understanding so that, you know, in the ex-ontology community, when I left work in 96 because I'd been steamrolled and I needed to recover, um, the former members were pretty, you know, united and friendly even you know some believed some didn't believe but they were friendly when i came back in 2013 realizing that people just don't recover naturally that, that you have to give them a little bit of a push so i started writing again um and and talking with some some people along the way that there was so much nastiness out mm, there mm. that there were this person does that and this person. And there were people who'd set themselves up as pundits to criticise everyone else, not in Scientology itself, but on the outside. Mm. You know, were you going to talk about a specific thing that you were looking for on one of my videos? No, I, I was going to say that the first thing that came up was um, this horrific website mm. that, that attacks you mm. and um, trashes you completely. Yeah. You know, I, I only skimmed it, I must admit, because, you know, I know you, so <laughs> I, I knew that this was not, not talking about you. But just from that perspective, if somebody wants to go and look at that site and go, Buddhist compassion, mm. you know, how, how well have they understood mm. this fundamental, this is the base of Buddhism, the foundation, compassion for all living beings. Mm. Now, they can't even get into compassion for human beings. No, it's not the, even human beings. Yeah, the earwigs yeah. have got no, 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 no chance, no. Although uh, apparently 
you know, the rats get treated quite well in NK, NKT centres, more so than the humans. I, yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, I think that probably says something. Yeah. There's a town in India where rats are considered sacred and so they're allowed mm. to go where they like. And mm. I've seen film of that and uh, I'm not going to go and live there. No. Not, you know, not that I've got, I don't have a particular aversion to rats, you know, mm. I'm compassionate towards them. And they're probably very nice, as long as they haven't got the bubonic plague. Um, and, and you're always within three metres of one or something. Yeah, apparently. I yeah. don't know where it is in this room. But, <laughs> um, it, yeah, so, I, I mean, we, we must wind up. I, I could sit here. I could really just sit here for, mm-hmm. for the, probably the next ten we hours. We could talk for probably. days, yeah. <laughs> and, and I hope we will. Um, but it, it, it's, inter- it's interesting, you know, my, underst- my understanding is, is absolutely that there is authoritarianism out mm. there. Mm. And it's not good for us. No. And um, the tyrannical way of living, the, uh, I'm reading um, Machiavelli's discourses. People have read The Prince, um, and it's better to be feared than loved, which was where he's trying to get a job with Cesare Borgia, who was just one of the most evil people ever. Mm. And he needed a job, you know. So he wrote that, but he also wrote the discourses. Neither of them published in his lifetime. And he talks about, which is him trying to get a job in a democracy. So you get the same fine mind um, actually going, oh, this is the nice stuff. And he talks about government. He says there are three kinds of government. There's monarchy, which becomes tyranny. There's aristocracy, which becomes oligarchy. And there's democracy, which becomes anarchy. And he then goes on about how you've got to fuse the three forms in some way. And I think the great problem of human beings is, is that we haven't found out how to properly have a democracy mm. politically and socially to to value everybody in the community um, and to have compassion and authoritarianism which is what forms cult groups yeah it is it's like the disease it's you know it's a congenital disease mm. in humanity which you know if we're going to stop if we're going to save the environment from us we've got to stop fighting wars you know, it's a yeah. point that's not necessarily brought in, but every time you send out a depleted uranium shell or, you know, use all of that fossil fuel to blow things up or, you know, uh, start using phosphorus, white phosphorus on people and things like that, that's not really going to help the human, mm. the sustainable environment. And I believe strongly, almost fervently, that the key to that is getting more people to be able to be emotionally autonomous and to think critically and to collaborate with one another. And if they have competition, that that it should be healthy, not selfish Mm. competition. Mm. So um, I think I'm going to become a guru now, actually. (laughs) uh... Yeah, I mean, I guess... Of course, I'm cynical and I, at the moment and I have to sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater for a while and I think that's okay. But I'm just not sure that we can train people to be more compassionate. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the organisations that are set up describing themselves as doing that... Do the opposite. They do the opposite. Mm. Um, and um, they're actually quite sadistic and masochistic. Um, so... Yeah, you get drawn in thinking that this is somehow a safer place than the rest of the world and you are influenced to believe that outsiders are 
more dangerous and that they um, religiously persecute you mm. and that keeps you um, convinced. Infested with demons. Yes, yeah. So, um, yeah, how we actually, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? How do we, um, because even a lot of the anti-cult groups start to become a little bit culty <laughs> so um yeah like a lot a lot of them trigger alarm bells for me mm. and there are even lots of people who get on youtube and talk about how to recover from narcissistic abuse by the way you've got to buy my product it's the only way to heal from narcissistic abuse i, so. I think i don't think you're cynical i think you're skeptical cynical means that you'll negatively color things mm. um, or maybe you are cynical maybe uh, <laughs> now <laughs> skeptical is a good place to be mm. where you go well i you know and i think with children teaching them as my friend ari Chalif says intelligent disobedience to be skeptical of everything mm. to say so you know in making videos you know i say to people well now go and check if what i've said is true mm. you know see if it if it adds up um but I think the clue is not in having organisations that train people to do things. Yeah. I think the clue, the, the key is in having individuals who have discussions and put yeah. forward points and encouraging people to say, you know, you are a captain of your own soul. I hate that part. <laughs> um, you know, but, but that's where you're aiming to, and learn from people who, who have experience, but don't become devoted to them. Mm. The, the guru, pandit, relationship is good for children but once you've reached adulthood mm. then you need to be taking responsibility i again and again and again refer to escape from freedom by Eric from um this incredible book this man who first defined malignant narcissism and who talks about the pseudo self this idea that people don't have a self they're just doing what they think the people around them think you know want them to do and i think our school system all of our systems are aimed at consumer systems and aimed at making mm. this false you know am i doing the right thing now am i approved of now and creating narcissism mm. rather than saying you know what's original to you what have you got going on that that you're good at and encouraging people mm. rather than discouraging them but encouraging them to find their own originality, which they're yeah. not going to find by being part of any particular group. No, yeah. I mean, all cultic groups destroy your spontaneity, your authenticity, your creativity. You know, most of the creativity is, um, if there are creative activities, it's uh, not real creativity, no. you know. so It's painting yeah. by numbers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very much um, so. The um, Steiner schools... Um, which come out of Rudolf Steiner's work, um, Anthroposophy. Um, the, you can always tell if somebody's trained in a Tobias art school, their art schools, because their paintings all look the same. Mm. They use the Goethe colour system, uh, which differs from most others. So there'll be blue, red, yellow doing this. And it, any system, you know, it's, I suppose with learning to play the piano, that you can learn from the dots or you can learn by ear. I have a friend who trained as a violinist as a child and can't play because he says, I can't, I can't play without the dots. And so there's no me in it. So he just bought a piano and put it in his house. His son is one of the, you know, I, I'm a drummer, I've played music all my life. His son is one of the three great musicians I've played with and he never had a lesson. He just had a piano in the mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. And it, 
encouraging people to get that balance of their own you know understanding of life and saying actually nobody's worked it out yet yeah. you know, starting from that point of view that um or, or you know we've, we've got to be able to check and test and i think there are just certain principles rather than a kind of you know a great big you know university course or what have you i despair of universities i really do um I've met so many psychologists who knew nothing. You know, it's like it, just like everybody else. It's like oh yeah, advertising affects other people. Mm. You know, I am invulnerable. That mm. they've not been put through enough. Um, you know, putting their hands in a bucket of cold water and a bucket of warm water, and then putting them into to to find out to actually do the things that teach you. I had my kids do that when they were quite little. It's like oh, one of my hands is hot, the other's cold. You know. <laughs> Understanding context, understanding things that directly. But I think it, it isn't making courses and doing all of this stuff, not anymore. I think it's stimulating people to explore and to be curious, which institutions and schools and um, Dharma centres don't tend to do. They, yeah. they want to clone you. Yeah, well, I would say that because I spent so long at uni studying psychology, that that, that was one of the vulnerabilities um, because I was used to being told information um, that I needed to absorb and be a good student, and I was used to the university model um, where there were, you know, tutors and there was a hierarchy, yes. and it was reasonably patriarchal, you know, mm. and that made me vulnerable to recruitment. Mm. And um, I did a lot of intellectualizing of emotional pain through studying it. Mm. And, you know, I've had to say to some of my family and friends um, that, you know, just because I studied it uh, from an ac academic perspective, um, that wasn't a safety. You know, I'm no less um, vulnerable than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, I need you to know that I'm not... Um, I'm not perfect. I, f I feel a lot more these days and I need that to be okay with you. Mm. And just because I went to university to study psychology doesn't mean that I really understand the mm. mind. Um, I don't really like saying the mind as if it's completely separate uh, these days. But, um, you know, even the, psychologists... The, the me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even psychologists... Um, and other mental health professionals, we we don't we don't know, and um, you know there are a lot of um, a lot of things coming out now. I don't know if it's because I just follow a lot of it on social media, so I'm seeing it more now, or whether there genuinely is more coming mm -hmm. out. But you know about how experiments that have been reanalyzed actually, when someone else looks at your data, they don't find what you found. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of narcissism in universities, in, in lecturers um, who want buildings named after them. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't want to say that I, um, I don't think there's anything in all the psychological theory no, that's been developed over the years, yeah. of course. But I think you've still got to be, um, you've got to be able to hold it lightly. Mm. Um, and to be curious and to to never think that you know um, yeah. because 
you don't and um you know ultimately um we're never going to know uh, for sure and um there's there's not a cure for for most things and um you know like our um deeply entrenched habit patterns and our attachment styles you know we don't know enough about that still um and we don't have uh, ultimate methods that um are guaranteed to to heal any of it um and yeah one of the arguments that people sometimes troll me with is well you've clearly had mental health problems and you can't solve those so i wouldn't trust you um but you know ultimately i'm going to keep being myself and saying i don't have the answers and anyone who tries to to sell you a cure um says that you're full of problems that need solving and that they have the solution don't trust them no and <laughs> the, the, i mean the, there is tremendous scientific um psychology um but the point of science is basically that it keeps moving yeah and it, it means that the we can reinterpret something. Raymond Dart, um, in 1925, you have the Tung baby. He becomes world famous. He's found hominid fossils in um, the Schwarzkranz cave. He's at Wittwattersrand. I love these words. Wittwattersrand University, and he finds these um, tusks that come from um, something like a saber-toothed tiger, and he finds hominid skulls that have been penetrated, and he goes, oh, these, you know, the tusks are found in burials with hominids. And so he's going, oh, they've been used as weapons. And this actually kick-started Conrad Lorenz and the whole aggression idea that we are really fundamentally violent, psychopathic creatures. That's what humanity is. That fed, of course, into Nazism and all sorts of social Darwinian ideas. Then, in 1977, a guy called Bob Brain, who'd taken over the chair at Wittwattersrand University I love that one, um, and went to the Schwarzkranz cave, um, he had these tusks analysed and um, put them under an electron microscope, and he found that there were these little grooves and patterns on them. So he had his students go out, because he had a hypothesis about this, and he found that what they'd been used for was digging up parsnips. <laughs> that, that, and also that when you looked at the skulls, there were always two Tusk marks mm. indicating that the hominid skulls had been found had been killed by the animals. Then, when the animals had died, somebody went, oh, I could use that as a, a digging tool. That influenced all of thinking for decades, and it still hasn't gone away. Mm. Um, so you can reinterpret existing information. We can know more. We can understand better. Um, but in the end, the individual. You, you, it's a journey you have to make for yourself. Mm. We can alleviate problems. You know, if somebody is very anxious, there are things you can do. You know, you don't have to give them diazepam. There are, mm. there are ways of helping them. Getting to meditate isn't necessarily one of them, frankly. Um, if somebody's had a traumatic experience um, that lingers with them and makes them hypervigilant and, um, you know, reading subtext into everything that's said to them and startled at, at everything that goes on around. You can help these people um, to feel better. I heard something really stupid said by somebody who's a leader in the countercult world, so I'm not going to name this person, but it was a man. Um, and he said that um, somebody who had been in battle and still grieved over lost friends was not healed. Yeah. 
and I'm going, that never happens. When I think about the dreadful things that have happened in the world, I should cry. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I, I said to you earlier, that I'm of the quite strong opinion now that um, there's just so much spiritual bypassing of emotional mm. pain and that a lot of these spiritual models, and that includes the way that we now use meditation in the mm. West, um, has been used to suggest that we should be feeling less mm. and that um, we are supposed to be happy all the time, which from an evolutionary perspective is not the case. It's not happen. No. Um, and that um, if you um, are, you know, in um, a state where you don't appear put together, that there's something wrong with you mm. um, that needs to be fixed and it solely exists in your mind and um, strategies and um, interfering with that. Um, I think it, it helps to make other people around you comfortable. Mm. Um, but, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with, with feeling. It can be really uncomfortable and, and difficult. Um, but one thing I've learned from, from my experience is that social support like you said earlier about interdependence um unfortunately a lot of the spiritual ideas have been used to suggest that we shouldn't need each other yeah and that we should be able to be completely self-sufficient um yeah self-actualized beings mm. and i think maybe a lot of us struggle um to trust um people and to to be in relationship with people and so we maybe sometimes get drawn into spirituality when we're trying to avoid intimacy. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, and um, that, that's certainly what happened to me, actually. Mm. Um, it was after a heartbreak and lots of people move in. Me too. To, yeah, that seems <laughs> to be a really common theme mm. because we maybe can't... Um, yeah, we're vulnerable at a time when we perhaps... Yeah, we don't want to um, be... Um, emotionally intimate with someone because it's too scary and painful and that's when we're vulnerable to um these ideas that that suggest that we um actually we're totally in control with our own mind um and that that we don't um need to give each other um empathy or or, or anything because actually all of these groups um from what ex-members tell me there seems to be um, less empathy mm. and um, less, you know, everyone's kind of working on it with their mind, but they're not acting in a way to support each other um, and stand up for each other or point out things that are abusive. So um, your experiences of abandonment, actually, because you might be really struggling with something and someone in front of you is working on that with their mind, but you've got no idea. They've just got this glassy look on their face mm. because they're in their own head and they're not actually showing any empathy mm. to you. And when we're not um, supporting each other emotionally, um, cortisol, adrenaline and everything, you know, we're not soothing each other. Yeah. Um, we're in a high state of stress mm. Um, and yet we still think that we should be able to meditate, which is something which is m much harder to do when you're stressed and, mm. and um, frustrated and traumatised. Mm. So, yeah, um, I think 
in a lot of these um, spiritual groups, um, you're also told that it is like your family, which is then very confusing because it's an emotionally invalidating family and mm. um, emotionally neglectful family. Mm. And I think, um, yeah, Miriam Anders' research now is saying that the um, the, the transgenerational trauma um, from um, from this in Buddhist groups, mm. we can't possibly know the impact of yeah. it yet because... Um, the Me Too movement's only just spreading to Buddhism and people are only just recognising that it is abuse mm. because of the crazy wisdom teachings and the idea that abuse is all in your mind. Mm. It takes, and the fear that you have about speaking up about the group and the guru, it takes people a really long time to even validate that they are traumatised mm. and that it they have experienced abuse. Yes. Um, so I think it's going to take us quite a long time um, to know how we support each other in in healing that um, and how we feel safe in relationship with each other mm. to do that, given we've been basically indoctrinated with all these fears of intimacy. Yes. And, and you know, again, I said earlier that, that for me, after 35 years, I finally gave up on the idea of enlightenment and replaced it with the idea of relationship, that... Mm. Um, my relationship with my four children, with my grandchild, um, with my brothers, with and, and their wives, with with my thankfully many friends, um, means that you know I, I have been through periods in my life where I had no support. Mm. You know, when my mother was dying, uh, I looked after her, and it just so happened that all of the five closest friends I had were going through dreadful things in their lives. Um, and they were no longer there for me. And so I went through a long period where there was nobody to talk to. Mm. And that was, you know, in the long run, I, th I think I'm probably quite resilient. Um, you know, it said that a small amount of people have this resilience. So I, well, I think I had it beaten into me. Um, mm. But because I came away from that and said, well, therefore it's about, you know, it's about relationship. It's about you know, having people who will care for you without exploiting you, without having an agenda, mm. without being paid. Yeah. Um, in without any... you paying them, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and giving that yourself and, and teaching that, you know, with children, you know, my concern is very much with prevention because recovery takes a long time. Mm. Um I think for somebody who's been through a severe experience, they can anticipate. And and again, they're, they're, you know, there's no standard. Some people just shrug it off. They really do. Um, and they walk away. And it's like, well, I'm doing something else now. Um, but most people will spend years recovering. Whereas, in fact, if you teach kids certain simple things about how to recognise abusive people and abusive practices, probably in a few hours... But there's nothing in our educational system mm, doing that. No. And certain simple ideas, that, you know, the, the things that Stanley Milgram and um, Phil Zimbardo um, found out, the things that Bob Cialdini and Anthony Bracanis um, teach, understanding what propaganda and PR is trying to do to you, I, I actually feel tremendously optimistic mm. because I think we're in the first, this is the first time in human history where these tools have become available and we we can possibly have a non-traumatized generation. You know, I you know I, I I did a study of the hippies 
you know, just to write a novel, um, so not a scientific study, but looking at American and British hippies. And I grew up on the tail end of the British hippie movement. I want to know why these groups were so different, knowing so many people went through it. And it's called Vietnam. Mm. And it's not that Britain wasn't fighting war, Malaysia and Borneo at the same time. It's just we didn't have conscription. So you weren't being threatened and there weren't all of these casualties coming back. Um, you know, 58,000 killed Americans, 2 million Vietnamese maybe. All of the families are being traumatised. All of the soldiers coming back are traumatised. Mm. And you've got PTSD throughout the society. Yeah. Um, so if it's possible to have a generation where children are not beaten at school, which we don't do anymore, thankfully. They're not yelled at at school. I'm afraid that still happens. Mm. They're not discouraged at school. They're encouraged to learn um, things that Ken Robinson talks about, where schools where kids actually get in early and stay late and go through the weekends. What? Mm. Yes, there are such schools. And they get great academic performance because they're doing stuff they want to do. And this idea that school should be a devastatingly boring environment, you know. So I think the tools are all there. It's just mm. putting the toolkit together and saying, yeah, this isn't about this organisation is now going to condition you to behave in this way. Mm. But here are the tools. Yeah. And kids will pick them up and they'll share them. This process called flipping where kids watch a video and then they explain it to the kids that didn't understand it. And the teacher's role is now to make sure that they're pairing up the right kids to teach each other. Because you know, the older you get and the more you understand a subject, the less you become able to explain it to others, I fear. Mm. When it's new to you and you've just got it, it's very easy mm. to explain it. Mm. So I, I think there are you know, many ideas abroad that, that, that can change the, the society. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I, I didn't for a long time. Yeah. For a very long time, I did not feel very hopeful. Mm. Um, but, but I do, I, I, very much so now. But it's, it is things like this. It's things like people sitting down and talking and then somebody else goes off and they, they hear what we're saying. They go, that, I'd like that bit. Mm. They comment on it. They talk about it, they discuss, and they realise that their opinion, I mean, I'm not for postmodernism as a general theory. I think it's absolutely stupid that my ideas on gravity should have equal weight to Einstein's. They don't. His were much heavier. <laughs> um, but I do feel that we all have a right to an opinion mm. and that the, the, the developing a personal opinion and being able to say, I disagree with that, I agree with that, I can take that further. Yeah. You know, Enabling people, enabling children, enabling young people to do that is going to be vitally important and, and, and can make a change. And we probably better finish up because I don't think there can be any battery left in anything anymore. <laughs> and this has been fantastic. It's yeah, been such it's a been pleasure. Great. Yeah, so thank you. I'm still John Atak. And, <laughs> and I'm still Michelle Hazard. <laughs> thanks a lot.